scripture reading this morning is Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. For you today, a needy people, Lord, we come before you seeking seeking a right relationship with you, Lord. We come before you, our King, and as our King, you have the rights and the Authorities to govern our lives, Lord. As we look at your word today, may we, may we seek to obey you honestly, obey you fully. God, I just pray for your spirit to be amongst us. Guard my words, that they be your words. Guard our hearts, that we hear the message from our king. I just ask that you will be glorified in our meeting this morning as your people, your church, your gathering, to honor and glorify you, to give praise to you. God, may our hearts be ready to hear the word. May we be ready to do it. I just ask this in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, just make sure I was actually on and you all could hear me. It'd be worse if I was just talking to myself. But I don't know about the rest of you all, but I have been really enjoying our series in Matthew. Matthew has done an excellent job of holding up our Savior, of showing us who he is. And uh, Pastor Fletch has been just pointing these things out wonderfully. And it's been awesome to see during the series on Matthew how Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of everything. Over and over again, he was the fulfillment of the prophecies from the Old Testament scriptures that we saw. He is the completion of different Old Testament types that were laid out in the past in the Old Testament. He comes and fulfills those. We even saw how he is the fulfillment of the law. 
Now the law is made to show us our sin. When you hold the law up to your life, it shows that we are not righteous. But to Jesus, it shows that he is righteous. He is the right one. We even saw how Jesus is playing out visually the history of Israel in his own life. He was called down to Egypt and called back up uh, from out of Egypt, just like the Exodus. He went through the rivers of the Jordan, just like the Israelites went through the Red Sea. He went through his baptism. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, symbolizing those 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. And he now is giving the law. Just like on Mount Sinai, Moses went up and he received the law of God back in Exodus. Here, Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, he went up on the mountain and he's now giving the law of the new covenant. But this law of the new covenant that Jesus is coming to initiate, this is a different law than what Moses did. Moses went up, he got the law, he brought down the stone tablets, and this was a law outside of the people that, they, that focused mainly on actions, some heart, but mainly on actions. Jesus is giving a new law that focuses in on the heart, the heart issues. Because out of the heart flows our actions. And this falls right in line with what he came to do with the new covenant. The new covenant was promised in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to start there before we even get to Matthew. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers, On that day when I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Just listen to this. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, but they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that Jesus came to initiate. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus came and was bringing. Jesus, in uh, in chapter 4 of Matthew, was going around preaching The kingdom of God is at hand. This is it, the new covenant. And as pastors told us many times since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon is a primer for the kingdom living. This sermon is giving that new law. And we're going to see here in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21, that these laws, these laws do focus in on the heart. And as we start this section in Matthew 21, I just want to point out a couple things. Point out a couple things of the beauty of what God has done here in this section. When we get to 21 to the end of the chapter, this is a new section on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And once again, Jesus is drawing their eyes back to Sinai. Because if you remember the Ten Commandments, there was four of them that had to do with the God-man relationship. And six that had to do with the man-to-man relationship of those Ten Commandments. In the, next sec- the rest of the chapter of Matthew 5, Jesus is going to use a phrase over and over again. This phrase is, you have heard it said, dot, 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 or a variation of this phrase. And he's drawing them back to what was said up at Mount Sinai. And there's six different things he lays out here that are man-to-man relationships. Just like the six commandments there in, uh, on the Ten Commandments that had to do with the man-to-man relationships. And they have this even in a chiastic structure. That was the way of the Hebrew thought, Jewish thought, where they put the first and last points connected, the third or second and second to last points connected, and then it keeps going and making kind of a V-shape, a sideways V, or like the geese flying. And here you have anger connected with loving your neighbor, flip sides. You have lust, wanting something you do not have, connected with retaliation, desiring to take back something that was taken from you. And you have in the center, divorce and oaths, which both are focused here on faithfulness. Faithfulness to your word in your uh, marriage and faithfulness to your word in your commitments. So here as we are looking, just stepping into the beginning of the section, Jesus begins with a statement, verse 21 of Matthew 5. You have heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. So when it says that you've heard it said to those of old, he's reflecting back to that Sinai covenant. Those of old would be those people in the wilderness who received the initial law. Now these people here are receiving the new law, but he's referring back to them. And he quotes directly, you shall not murder. Uh, that's straight out of Exodus chapter 20. But then he, used, he summarizes other parts of the law when he says that you will be liable to the judgment. Specifically, Exodus 21, 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies will be put to death. And, whoever take, and then Exodus 24, 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. So this is the law that he says is going to be, if you break this law, you're going before the council. So the question is, who's the council? Well, I'm glad you asked. The council would be their local court system. So their local court system could handle something very cut and dry like this. You killed someone, you murdered someone, uh, you're put to death. That would be what the council would be referring to. And this assertion alone... If we just took this phrase all by itself, the crowds of Israel would be following right along. Yep, this is exactly what was taught. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes would be saying, amen, yes, we've got to kill them all. If there's a murder, we've got to do it. Yeah, I don't think they were listening that way because just beforehand, Jesus said you had to have a righteousness above the scribes and the Pharisees, and that would have been a shocking statement. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a shocking statement from a, a sermon, I'm a little on edge, like, what's coming next? 
So these guys were on edge. They were listening. They were like, what's coming next? He said, and Jesus brings them back here. Okay, I can agree with this. I can agree with that. But then he says in verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the council. I just want to, I want you to feel the shock for a second. He connected that first phrase with Mount Sinai, with the law given to Moses. And then he connects it with, but I say to you. I'm a little shocked that he got the next words out of his mouth. Because he equated his words with the very words of God. He can do that. He is God. But he's demonstrating to, he's talking to these people and he's presenting him, himself there. And these people are very protective of the law, very protective of the law of Moses. And he put his words side by side equal to the Ten Commandments. It's a little shocking that they didn't pick up stones right there and start trying to stone him. And then the, what he brings, continues on is anger is the same as murder. If we are angry in our heart, it is the same as if we murdered someone. He's saying that if we're angry in our heart against another brother, it's the exact same punishment that's deserved if we murder That's shocking. That's astounding. And in our culture, you're like, whoa, you're going a little too far. Jesus is driving at the heart. He knows that murders come not just because they just happen out of nowhere. It comes from a sinfulness of the heart. And not only that, but he is, he's connecting back to the very first sin that happened outside the garden that we have recorded in scripture there are other sins i'm sure happened but in recorded in scripture in genesis chapter 4 the first sin wasn't murder the first sin was anger in genesis chapter 4 the lord said to cain why are you angry and this is starting verse 6 why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its strength, or its desire, is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. The Lord saw the hatred of Cain way before he ever murdered Abel. The Lord saw the anger of Cain way before that ever erupted out of him in a physical manifestation. And the Lord came to Cain and offered him repentance. The Lord came to Cain and said, I see your sin. It, it wants to explode out of you. You need to rule over it, warning him. But James, the brother of Jesus, he explains how this works to us, for us. In James chapter 1, 14 to 15, 
James tells us, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. And the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That sin of anger in our heart is right there on par with the sin of murder. That's what our Savior says. That's what Jesus tells us. Yet Jesus didn't stop there. Which that would be shocking to see that this new kingdom law raises anger to the level of murder. Jesus didn't stop there, but he says, he he heightens the standard even more to someone who insults his brother. Someone whose anger explodes out in a verbal insult. So one way anger can explode out is through murder, through physical violence. Another way could be through talking badly to someone, insulting them. Oh, but we learned back in the day, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, that's not what Jesus said. When you insult someone, says here in verse 23, I'm sorry, in verse 22, continuing on, uh, but if, uh, uh, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to the judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. So that's actually a step up in, in the court system. I misspoke a little bit earlier when I said the council was referring to local council. Oh, a judgment would be referring to local council would be referring to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the equivalent of what we have with our um, Supreme Court, we have, they have tiers of courts in the Jewish system, and their higher one was the Supreme or Sanhedrin. So if you explode out, that means you're, the, the higher courts are taking it. That means it's more serious. So as we look at that, we think about our Supreme Court doesn't take up people insulting each other, does it? It doesn't take up minor things like traffic accidents and things like that. We view them as minor. We view uh, our insulting as minor. But Jesus is saying that these things are serious. These things are deadly serious. And then he ends with uh, this escalation. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire, or to the hell of fire. So this is a very specific insult. In Jewish custom, the phrase, you fool, meant more than just they were not intelligent. If we remember back in our series that we had in Proverbs, we learned that, that Proverbs compared the fool and the wise man repeatedly. And the fool and the wise man were con- contrasted because the fool despised wisdom, but the wise man feared the Lord. It says in Proverbs uh, 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the fool despises wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 14.1, says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt 
and do abominable deeds. Then again in Psalm 53.1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There's none who does good. And Noah, there was not a typo there. The Lord gave us that phrase, the exact same phrase, twice. This idea of the fool had the idea of someone who was outside the covenant, outside the people. It was the equivalent of what we have today if, if someone tells you to go to hell. Someone calling someone a fool in those days was saying, I, I desire your condemnation. I desire you to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus is saying, guess what? When you are doing that, you are going to be brought to the highest court system. The one who can throw you in hell. The one of the Lord himself. When we think about just a few verses earlier, Jesus had said, the scribes, one has to have the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he comes with this, showing what kind of righteousness. Truly, this truly is a righteousness that is higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a righteousness that we cannot obtain on our own. This is a righteousness that we can only get from another. Back in Jeremiah, it said that they will give us a new heart. We need that new heart if we're going to have any semblance of ability to meet this law. Because we cannot do it on our own. We are totally and completely unable If we thought that the old law, the Sinai law, would reveal sin, how much more is this one revealing sin in in us? We cannot do it, but we have a Savior who did. And we have a Savior who, like at the end of uh, the passage I read in Jeremiah, says that he will forgive sins. He'll forgive sins. So, I want to make sure we don't rush over this, how the Lord looks at anger as such an awful, heinous, terrible sin. And we yet are so often ready to, eh, it's anger. That person is just... They're a little hot-headed, it's, you know, or, or they're a very passionate person, so therefore anger is okay. I'm going to talk to dads for a second because we, I think, have a more tendency towards anger. Not that the ladies can't. But are we serving in our home or demanding to be served? Are we creating an atmosphere where it is a minefield for your kids. They do anything, anything wrong and we're blowing up. And even worse, and I can have this tendency, is, is self-justification in our anger. I only really get angry because I am mad at something that someone did wrong. They legitimately did it wrong. I'm not mad at something. Uh, I'm not just irrational. 
we tend to soften our views of our anger as to how bad it is. But Jesus heightens it. It is something that we need to repent of. And that is the answer that he gives us here. Jesus doesn't just leave us with, here's the standard, it's really bad, uh, what you're doing is really bad, you can't meet it, but he gives us an answer of repentance and reconciliation. So anger tends to divide people, tends to break relationships. And Jesus says in chapter and um, verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's more important, according to Jesus, that you are reconciled to those whom you have created a division between because of your anger. It's more important that you are reconciled with them than that you are worshiping him. Now, he wants you to come back and worship. But your worship is hindered when you break relationships. And mainly he's focusing here, I'm looking here, he's looking at anger. Anger breaks relationships. And he's saying, it's completely and utterly appropriate If we're worshiping, songs are playing, we're worshiping the Lord, and we remember, oh no, I blew up at Joe Schmo on the other side of the uh, church. He probably remembers that. To leave my seat and go over and talk to that person and get it reconciled. It is completely and utterly appropriate and is what the Lord tells us to do. We need to get those human relationships reconciled to the best of our abilities. Now, I'm not going to soften what Jesus says. He says, if someone has something against you, I can't do that. I can't soften it. I can't play any contingencies. Oh, what if so? Da, 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 da. But what I can do is I can let Jesus give the parameters. If we go back a couple verses in Matthew, and we look at Verse 10 and verse 11 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the direct context of the anger or the reconciliation is uh, relationships broken by anger, but I can extend it out to relationships broken by your sin. But Jesus says, hey, there's going to be people who are offended by you if you live for me. If you're living for me, people are not going to like that you have a standard of righteousness that, that sheds a light on my sinfulness and they won't like it. And there's going to be some people who don't like you if you are living for him. We need to strive to live peaceably with all men. We need to strive to reconcile all relationships. 
But some relationships are broken because some people don't want to, you to follow the Lord. If, the, if it is broken because you are following the Lord and they don't want a part of that, I'm not saying you can't come and worship them. Jesus said that's going to happen. But how often are relationships broken because of our sinfulness? How often are relationships broken because we refuse to show the humility of going to the one who, whom we have hurt and asking their forgiveness and being reconciled to them? So one thing of application here is go and be reconciled to those who, in your anger, you have burnt those relationships. Go and be reconciled to those who are ready to be reconciled. And be ready to forgive when those who may not be ready to be reconciled repent. And when they are ready to repent, they are ready to be reconciled. Reconciliation is the key. Don't Don't hold out reconciliation. And it ends here in this passage. Come to terms quickly with your accuser um, while you are going to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So as we look as we look to make it sure that we are following the laws of Christ, that following the laws of our king. If you are outside of the kingdom of Christ, if you are not a citizen of his, if you're not submitting to the law of Christ, there is one with whom you need to be reconciled. There is one with whom you have fallen so short of the law, so short of his standards, that punishment in hell is right and is just and is appropriate. But he, that one to whom is the judge, the one who you need to be reconciled with. He's also the one who came to this earth. He's the one who lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay your penalty of your not following the law of Christ. To pay your penalty of not following And not only that, but to give you on your account his righteousness so you can live in good standing in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did all that for you. He is there ready to accept you. He said, all who come to me by no means will I cast out. If you come to him, he will accept 
If you come to him and seek forgiveness, he does not withhold forgiveness like some of us do when we are holding on to a grudge and bitter. He is not like us. And for those of us who are already in the kingdom, our mission is reconciliation with each other and with those who are outside of the kingdom. We are seeking to bring them in. Our mission needs to be to live peaceably with all men as much as possible. Seek forgiveness from those whom you have wronged. Seek forgiveness from the Father. And seek to live without the anger, controlling the anger like uh, Cain was warned to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you how you have sustained during the mess word to hear. We fall so short of your glory. We fall so short of your standards. But Father, you are a just judge, ready to convict and condemn, but also ready to forgive to those seeking reconciliation with you, Lord. I pray that we will be ministers of reconciliation in our own lives with other people and in the lives of other people to you, Lord. I pray that you will be glorified in our church, that phone calls will be made, that conversations will be had that need to be had, that our homes reflect what it looks like to, uh, to repent and ask forgiveness when we have wronged each other. May our homes not be marked by anger and frustration and this overwhelming rage, but is seeking to serve and be reconciled to one another, Lord. I just pray for your blessing on our church. In your son's name, amen.